Okay, so so we sang, uh, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. I want to see you. Now, in the book of Acts, there are a lot of people who receive visions from the Lord. Let's name a few. Let's have a little class time here. What are some visions that, are, that we see in the book of Acts? There's a lot of them. Give me one. Paul. Paul. Well, that's the one we're talking about today. All right, Acts chapter 9. We're doing Saul's vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. So that's one. Give me another one. Who? Stevens had a vision. Stephen, he looked up and saw Jesus. We talked about that last week. Standing at the right hand of God. Another vision. Another vision. Ananias. Ananias was told to go see Saul. So we're going to, Ananias is going to get a vision. Yes, Daniel. Peter and Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. We'll talk about that next week. Cornelius and Peter. Well, I, I, I blew it. I blew it. Okay, I said one. Okay, Peter, yes. And Cornelius, yes. They get visions. Okay, anybody else? Anybody else? Old Testament Daniel. Old Testament Daniel. Okay, we're going Old Testament. Anything else in the book of Acts? Anything else in the book of Acts? Um, Agabus. Agabus. Oh, goodness. Yeah, we got Agabus, the, the New Testament prophet. You know, uh, that's an interesting. Yes, a lot of, a lot of visions in the, in the book of Acts. Um, and, uh, oh, Philip, we didn't talk about Philip, you know, uh, so a lot of great things, but one thing's in common when people get a vision, when they hear and see the voice of God, uh, everybody is surrendered. They're committed, aren't they? Even what we'll see here about Saul, he is zealous for God. He is all in for the Lord and he is going to receive a message from the Lord. So, so if we want to see God, Let's have our hearts surrendered. Let's be all in today. And let's really take this in, God. We want to see you. We want to hear your voice. So let's open up our hearts to the Lord speaking to us through Acts chapter 9. We're going to do just one chapter today. Hallelujah. It's still going to be hard to fit in there. There's so much in this chapter. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to let the story teach us. We're going to let the story inspire us. We're going to let the story change us. Acts chapter 9. We're going to focus on the Apostle Paul. We're going to focus on... Saul's conversion, and he'll eventually be the Apostle Paul. But we're going to first uh, talk about Peter here in the second half of the chapter. So if you have your Bibles, or you can just look on screen here, let's pick up in Acts 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Uh, there he found a man named Aeneas, who was a paralyzed, paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. I would go by Tabitha as well. She was also doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Uh, Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and he arrived, he was taken to his upstairs room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning towards the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. 
he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Uh, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, again, miraculous things that the Holy Spirit is doing through the apostles, specifically here through Peter, how the Holy Spirit is using him to spread the gospel, to spread the knowledge of Jesus, and here in a very specific way, ministering to to Tabitha, uh, bringing her back from the dead. Um, here's a little map. You can see where he would have gone. So, so here's Jerusalem, where the disciples were, where the apostles were, and there's a the persecution that kind of broke out. You can see up in Samaria where Philip went is up here to the north. So he's going to go to the coast. So this is Joppa, or somebody, uh, Scott J- Jaffa. We're trying to figure out how to say it. There's a lot of different ways you can say it. Uh, this is modern-day Tel Aviv, modern-day Tel Aviv. So, so this is where this is, right on the coast. So here he's through Lida, uh, right close to the, uh, to the sea here in Joppa. So, so Peter is going, and he's, he's visiting. They've been to Samaria to, uh, to see what's going on up there. Uh, so he's traveling around. I get the feeling that, that Peter's just trying to figure out what God is doing. That the Holy Spirit's moving all around. So I guess I should go check this out and see what God is doing. He's trying to keep speed with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And he's setting things up for what we're going to get to next week in Acts chapter 10. So he's going to be in the house of Simon the Tanner. And there's going to be a really incredible moment uh, that, that he gets a vision from God that we'll see next week. So, But it's not going to happen in Jerusalem. It's going to happen in Joppa. It's going to happen in Joppa, and there's a reason for that. So the Holy Spirit is setting all this up. But meanwhile, you know those shows like, meanwhile, while this is going on, this is going on. So all these things are happening that the Holy Spirit is directing. And meanwhile, let's go back to the first part of chapter 9, and we're going to meet, again, a guy named Saul, because we've already met him once, and he was the villain who was... The man overseeing and approving of Stephen's murder, the death of Stephen. And uh, Saul oversaw that. And so here we're going to see a guy named Saul come to Christ. Let's look at this really amazing conversion. First of all, let's talk about who Saul is. Verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. Anybody remember what the high priest's name is at this time? It's not Caiaphas, but Annas. Annas that's right. So uh, he went to the high priest, Annas. He asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So one kind of side note here. You know the first thing that the Christians were called? They were called the way. The way. That's the first title that... The Christians got being called Christian doesn't even come comes a couple of chapters later here, uh, but we see they're called the way. Um, I love that, especially if you like the Mandalorian. This is the way. I think they stole that from Jesus. Okay, <laughs> they absolutely stole that from Jesus. Okay, so they're the way. So Saul, who is this guy Saul? Well, he is zealous for the Lord. He is a Pharisee. What we know about him. Saul is um, from an influential family in Tarsus, in Tarsus. Anyone know where Tarsus is? Really, really far away from Nineveh. 
Okay, far away from Nineveh. We're going Jonah in here. Okay, Tarsus is right here. This is first century Tarsus. This is modern day Turkey. Okay, so Greece would be over here. So Tarsus was a very important port city um, there in that area. So he's, he's, you see, even north and west of Antioch. So he's really out of Jerusalem. He's, he's grown up there. This is modern day. You can see Tarsus is still here. It's an ancient city. This, this is on Google Maps. Just pulled this up. Oops. Uh, that doesn't show up. So Tarsus is right here. See that? So Tarsus is still there today. You can go to Tarsus, where Saul came from. It's still there. It's still rocking. Um, so he is from Tarsus. It's not as big of a city as it was back then. It was a huge city, especially uh, after Alexander the Great, all these kind of things, a lot of history in Tarsus. Um, but Saul is... is he grew up there, and he's, he's from a long line of Pharisees, a very devout and religious family line. So he, is a, he grew up in church. He was like the preacher's kid. Growing up, not the preacher's kid, but the preacher's great-great-grandkid whose granddaddy was a preacher, and his father was a preacher, and he's a preacher. So he is a long line of, of, of church, of being a Pharisee, very devout. And he was probably very wealthy. Uh, there's, if you're interested in these things, I find these things interesting. Uh, Romans 16, uh, Paul says, Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. And some think that it's not just saying my fellow Jew, but the word there, it, the kinsman, it really suggests, first of all, it's kind of like his cousin or something. It's the same blood relative. So he's probably, uh, he's probably related to, the, to, to Herod. He's even to Agrippa. Josephus writes about a Saulus who was related to Agrippa. So he's got the line. He's got the lineage. He's got the family bloodline. This guy, he's got it all. And he'll even talk about that later in his letters. Hey, as far as from a human standpoint, I had it all. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had this, I had that. So, so Saul is a very influential person. He's also been educated under Gamaliel. Okay, this is very significant. Don't just read past this. Gamaliel is known to be one of the most influential rabbis ever in Judaism. He's very, very influential, especially in the first century, perhaps uh, one of the most influential of the time uh, that Jesus was around. Um, Who is Gamaliel? Gamaliel is, uh, okay, son of Simeon. Ben Hillel. You may have heard the word Hillel before. He's the grandson of Hillel. So if you know anything about Judaism, there are these two uh, trains of thought that are always kind of battling each other. There's Shammai and then there's Hillel. And there are these two different rabbis who kind of take uh, Torah and their interpretations and there's, and there's different followings. Um, from what I understand, and I'm, I'm not an expert in all these things, but from what I understand and what I've learned, Shammai... His, his take on Judaism, if, if people want to come to become a god fear, people outside of Judaism want to worship the Lord, they're welcome to. But if they want to really come in and be uh, really with the Jews and worship completely with the Jews, they have to become a Jew. They have to be circumcised. They have to uh, become a proselyte convert, convert to Judaism and get all the outward signs as well. Hillel doesn't say that. He says you can, you can, by faith, you can be not necessarily fully Jewish, but you can be like a cousin to the Jews. But you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to do all these things. You are, you are, you can worship God because you are a God-fearer by faith. 
So do you see how that's significant in Paul being a disciple of Gamaliel, who is, who is in with Hillel, that God chooses Paul, or Saul, I'm going to keep calling him Paul and Saul. You know what we're talking about. Uh, someone who's been taught under the teaching, under the influence of Hillel's uh, disciples, who Gamaliel is. He is a, he is a representative of, of, uh, of Hillel's influence. Um, and he's in, if in the Mishnah today, uh, Gamaliel's mentioned. Um, and even here it says, since Rabban, Rabbi, Gamaliel, the elder, died, there has been no more reverence for the law and purity and piety died out at the same time. Gamaliel is highly esteemed in Judaism. Highly, highly esteemed. And so here is Saul who is, uh, has been educated from Gamaliel. And so even if Jews hear about Saul coming to their town, to the synagogue, and they hear, here's a disciple of Gamaliel, they're going to flock to hear this guy because Gamaliel is the rabbi of rabbis at this time. And so, so God chooses, again, why is God choosing Saul for this influence? There's a lot of things that God has prepared Saul for to be able to have such a great influence in the first century church. You see all that? It's pretty cool. So now we have a little bit more background about Saul, about who he is, about his influence, about where he's coming from. So here he's traveling to do what? To, to get the Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem, those who left, and to keep from spreading the word, put them in prison, and put them on trial, possibly kill them, whatever needs to be done, because he wants to preserve the purity of Judaism. But as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. I mean, can you just imagine for a moment? Saul, just zealous for the Lord, has a vision and he just sees Jesus. I mean, everything that's going through his heart and mind in about half a second, his, his world is rocked. What, what am I doing? He thinks he's doing all this for the Lord and he's realizing that he's going against the Lord. Jesus says, get up, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The man traveling with Saul, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And he got his GPS directions there. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Ananias, he's just really excited about this message, right? Uh, Lord, um, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, uh, and how he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Are you, you, you sure you got the right guy? The Lord said to Ananias, Go, 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house. He entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who, you, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. It's hard for us to really, really understand how big a deal this is. This is huge. This is, uh, I mean, imagine Bernie Sanders becoming a Republican. Imagine Donald Trump becoming a Democrat. It was something that would be like, what? I mean, something so ridiculous. But think about the humility that Saul had to show here to embrace this entirely new way of thinking. He had been the guy persecuting the Christians. Now he was going to be a Christian. He had, you think he's going to confuse some people? Yes. What was his family going to think? Um, our son has lost his marbles. What's going on here? Uh, what about his fellow Jews in Jerusalem? What about the, other, the Pharisees? What about his, Saul's followers? I'm sure he had his own disciples and people that were following him. and um, They were going to be completely confused. He had to say, you know what? I have been wrong. I have been wrong. Saul shows so much humility. You know, it takes a lot of humility to convert. It takes a whole lot of humility to convert. Uh, you can't do it because of surfacey reasons, especially if it's going to be this radical. You know, imagine if you grew up uh, being a Muslim. And you want to convert to Christianity. You don't do it because you like the music. You don't do it because the children's program is nice at that little church down the street. Because, you know, if you convert to Christianity, your family could cut you off. And you, I mean, you might be, you know, physically threatened or all kind of things. Your life is going to change. You convert because you believe it's the truth. That's why you convert. Um... It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of humility. Uh, I was I was thinking about for this for me. Let's 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 think for a moment. I decided to convert to change to Catholicism. Would that confuse you all a little bit? Let's say that I studied some things out and I I read the Bible and I said, you know what? I'm missing something here. I really believe from Scripture that Mary needs to be venerated. That I need to pray to Mary. And I believe from reading the scriptures that, that I believe that the Pope does have all authority here on earth. I believe that from scripture. And I believe that uh, that tradition in the church should be on the same level as scripture is. I believe that. I, and I need, to, I need to change because I believe that's truth and I need to, to follow this in, in Catholicism. Now, would my life change if I decided to do that? You think my family life would change? Yes. 
Uh, you think I have some explaining to do at home? My dad is an elder in this church. You think he would, he would need some explanations? You think I would get fired from this position? Yes. yes. <laughs> do you think, I mean, think about the repercussions here. So why in the world would I do that? I would only do that if I truly believed that was the truth. And it, I'd have to have a lot behind that. But imagine the other way. Imagine if someone was in Catholicism, they read the Bible and they thought, you know, hey, you know, it's praying to Mary thing. I don't see that in Scripture. It's papal authority. And they came to some convictions that, you know what? I don't know about this. And a lot of people that grow up a certain way may have to make some decisions. You think it's going to affect somebody's family who's, who's grown up in that? And you think they have some splaining to do? Yes. But why does someone make the changes that change your life dramatically and confuse people? You might lose your job. You might lose this because you believe it is the truth. That's what it takes. It takes a lot of courage to really become a Christian. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of humility. Um, there were others besides Saul. Look, I love this. We, we read kind of past it and we studied Acts chapter 6. But this one is a powerful passage. Let's, let's, let's take this in for a moment. The word of God spread, Acts 6 verse 7. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of who? Priests became obedient to the faith. So these priests... They're going to kind of lose their position as priests in the, in the church now, aren't they? Because in the church, we're going to learn that the, the role of priesthood has been fulfilled by Jesus. And in fact, everyone in Jesus is a holy priesthood. So they're going to lose their, their, their role here a little. But why did they change? Why did they convert? Why did they follow Jesus? Because they believed it is and was the truth. That's why they changed. Well, we see Saul is going to take a lot of flack. His life is going to be a little bit miserable for a while. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, verse 19. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished. Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. So the Jews are trying to kill this guy. But Saul learned of his plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Well, at least Saul had, had you know, the, the Christians really loved him and took him in and embraced him. No, they were scared to death of this guy. Can we trust him? Is he just trying to infiltrate here and find out who's really a Christian so he can imprison us as well? I mean, Saul had no safe place. He had no safe place. We're going to really learn to appreciate Barnabas as the only guy that's, all right, let's trust this guy. And God starts using Barnabas's partnership with him. Oh, I think we see that right here. Yeah, here we go. Sorry. Verse 27. Barnabas took him in. Thank you, Lord, for Barnabas. 
brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul was on his journey, had seen the Lord. The Lord had spoken in him how in Damascus he had finally uh, preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Of course, when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So send him back, uh, send him back home. Um, you know, a few things I just want to really draw out here. I mean, um, when we come, become convinced of the truth, it takes a lot of humility and courage to, to let your life really change in that direction. And, and a lot of us have, have experienced that even in, in church. I remember, um, I think about the journey. I know my, my family, I know my parents' faith really well. And I think a lot of their journey, they were trying to honor God in so many ways. Um, but if you grew up in the, in the churches of Christ, there was a lot of great things in the churches of Christ. There was one issue that was kind of really pertinent was, was instrumental music. That if, if you can't be a real Christian, really, if you have, if you, and worship God truthfully, if, if you have instrumental music. And it's a very big issue. And, uh, and they realized that that shouldn't be the dividing line in fellowship with other Christians. But to make a stand, to make a change in that stance was a big deal. And for most of us, we're like, that's, that's not a big, what, instrumental music, what's the big deal about that? And for some people, it's a huge deal. For some people, it's an issue of salvation. But to come to the humility and even the, the threat of, oh, what's my family going to think about this? Why do you make those decisions? Because you believe this is what God really wants us to do. Okay, they're big decisions. Um, have you ever had to make decisions like that in your life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think even this day, I, I think we got we to gotta choose to do what's right because we're convinced from Scripture. Um, I've even in my own life, even in the ministry, I've had to make changes over the last 20 years in the way some things I've presented or said, I say, you know what? That's just not right. I need to change. I don't really, you know, it may offend some people here or there, but, but, but this is what the message really should be. And I've had to make some decisions about that <laughs> and stand on that. And so we're called to do that as, 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 as people, you know, uh, in high school, middle school. I mean, think about it. Why do you, why would you do this? Why would you threaten what other people may think about you or you may lose some friends or this and that. Why? Well, because when you come become convinced that this is the truth from Almighty God, you have the courage to do that. Um, Jesus says this. He says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mother, children, and fields, along with persecutions and the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last, the last will be first. Jesus knew that to follow him, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. There may be some turmoil in your family. Some of your friends may not want to be your friends. Some of this might happen, that might happen. That's going to happen. That's part of giving your life to Jesus. But he says, remember this, that when you do, you will not fail to receive so much more. I mean, think about Saul's life. He's going to become Paul. Yeah, he's going to have a few dark years in there. But when we read the passage, we read about his relationships 
in his letters. We realize his relationship with Timothy, with, with, with uh, Titus, and with, with uh, Silas, and these different people. These, we read Romans 16 about all these relationships, these deep Christ-centered relationships Paul had. Was his life void of meaning and meaningful relationships? No. We long for those types of relationships. God has rewarded Saul for his courage and conviction and his humility. We are deeply rewarded in God's church and God's kingdom. The relationships we can have, whatever we have to sacrifice to put Jesus first, God will give us much more in return. And that is a promise from Jesus Christ. He will say that he does say there will be persecutions. That's right. Um, but look at Paul's heart. He doesn't go like, okay, I've been enlightened, so all you fools that, that just want to stick with Judaism without Christ, you guys are my enemies now, you're trying to kill me. See, that's the difference. See, sometimes when we come to this new enlightenment in our life, this new truth in our life, we may see the group that used to be that we used to be like as the enemies, you know, against us. Saul never saw that with the Jews. Look at how he says in Romans 9. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Saul never loses his heart for his brothers and sisters of Israel. Never. This is a... This is, one of the most amazing passages in the Bible is see that Saul, hey, I, I, I give up my salvation that my brothers of Israel would come to be saved. Uh, what an amazing heart that he continued to have uh, for, for all people and his brothers and sisters in, in Israel. Um, last thing we'll talk about here, it takes contrition to be changed. It takes contrition to be changed. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. They led him by the hand of Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Why do you think that God left Saul hanging for three days without any direction? Why do you think he left Saul blind? For three days, well, here's a guy who's used to having everything on the outside. And now he's blind, and the only thing he has is what he sees on the inside. God wanted him to come to terms with the inside, with his heart, with his pride, with his arrogance, with his dependence on all the things he's built his life around and how much he was striving to be striving to be a man of God and was totally missing the boat. He had to come to grips. With what? We see what he came to grips with in 1 Timothy 1. Paul says to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, it deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. It humbled him out. 
he, he humbled out and he, and he saw Jesus and he, and, he, and, he, and he started getting the grace of God. It changed his life. He had to see the sin in his own life. How do you and I feel about our lives? Do we think we've kind of, we're good people? No. You know, that we kind of deserve it. I lived a pretty good life. We, we, can, we can think that way, but we all have to come and touch, coming to grips of who we really are before the Lord. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, Godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. There's one thing I want to point out here. Conversion. We're talking about the humility it takes to make decisions to live by the truth. It also takes letting God change your heart. It, it takes us taking personal responsibility for our shortcomings before the Lord. And this is a very, very important step for us when we come to Jesus. And to be frank with you, I think this is a step that so, so many people want to skip over to find Jesus. They, we want to have salvation. We want to be forgiven. We want to have the Holy Spirit but we don't want to look inside because we don't like what we find inside. But this is such an important step, and it's something we try to do even in our Belong study series. When we study the Bible, we look at, okay, what, let me look at my own sin. Let me look at what I need to be forgiven of, what, what Jesus went to the cross for me with. And I, to tell you the truth, I don't like talking to people about that. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Not, nobody likes talking about that stuff. That's why it's usually just brushed under the rug. And let's just talk about the good things. But Jesus wanted Paul to think about it. He wanted him to, to get it in his heart. And it's important for us not just to feel sorry for ourselves, not to have worldly sorrow. Oh, I'm just a bad person. No, it's to have a godly sorrow, a responsibility we take that leads us to want to have change in our life. We have to take stock of where we've been and what we're being forgiven of or will never really change. Brothers and sisters, let's not skip this step. Yeah. We can't skip it. We can't fudge this part of Christianity. We can't say, oh, I want to spread the gospel and let's, let's fill the gym up with people and talk about all the great things of Jesus. Let's do that, but let's also know that, hey, Jesus wants you to look on the inside and see the dark things and see the filth and realize that Jesus still died for you anyway. And that's going to humble you it's going to make you fall in love with Jesus. And it's never going to be about you. It's going to be about your gratitude for Jesus. Amen. That's Christianity. Yes. So we got to be able to live that. we got to remember that. And we have to communicate that. Mm -hmm. I want to close with a, with a quote from Max Licato. You might have read some of Max Licato's stuff. Mm -hmm. It's so good. So heartwarming. He tried to get really to the heart of Christianity. And he does that once again here in his book, Applause of Heaven. And he talks about this step of contrition. He says, the message is gripping. Show a man his failures without Jesus, and the result will be found in the roadside gutter. So here he's talking about that worldly sorrow. If we just start cutting people down here, bad person, you know, it, it, you get depressed. It's, it's horrible. You don't like yourself. People don't want to look at those things or talk about those things. It, it, it makes us depressed. But he says, he also says, give a man religion without reminding him of his filth. And the result will be arrogance in a three-piece suit. So what is that? Talk about all the great things, how God loves you without really seeing that what's really going on the inside. It, it's, it leads to hypocrisy, right? 
But get the two in the same heart. Get sin to meet Savior and Savior to meet sin. And the result just might be another Pharisee turned preacher who sets the world on fire. That's when God gets you. What we see in Saul is somebody, why does he give his whole life so radically for the rest of his life? Well, he was changed from the inside. He was changed from the inside. Eternal gratitude for Jesus Christ. Where is our heart today? Where is our humility? Knowing that I'm putting God first, I'm going to live out the truth no matter what the consequences. And are we letting God in? Are we letting God into our hearts? Being honest, taking responsibility, and becoming so grateful for Jesus' love for us despite of our sin. What an amazing lesson we see in Paul. We're going to see uh, incredible things through him and his life and his ministry. But this moment, this moment uh, changes everything for him and for the church. Amen. Amen. Let this inspire us today, church. Let's all stand together. We're going to close with a song. Have the singers come up. And uh, we're going to sing, uh, Since I Laid My Burdens Down. We're having a little fun with this, all right? I even think uh, Rebecca's going to pick up the tambourine for this one. All right. Let's sing about it. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Since I laid my burdens down, way on down. Glory, glory. in that land where I'm bound oh where I'm bound well, sign me up sign me up for the Christian Jubilee won't you write my name, my name. 
I've been changed. Please be with us all as we go and carry this great message of love that you have for all of us to those uh, everywhere, God. And uh, Father, um, let us stay in touch and in step with your Holy Spirit. God, give us the courage. Give us the humility. Give us the, uh, the soft heart to be, be humble, be open with you. And thank you so much for your grace and your love in our lives. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday afternoon, everybody.